Time Magazine has just announced its athlete of the year for 2021. Simone Biles, the gymnast who took a spot on the U.S. Olympic team and then infamously refused to compete in a bunch of events. Biles eventually blamed her pulling out on having the twisties, but initially she chalked pulling out up to, quote, not having as much fun. She said, I feel like I'm also not having as much fun. And this Olympic Games, I wanted it to be for myself. And it felt like I was still doing for other people. And that hurts my heart that doing what I love has been taken away from me. Because that's, that's what the Olympics are about. It's just you and not your country and not the sport. Just, but just, it's all about you. So the woman who refused to perform an athletic event won athlete of the year, specifically for refusing to compete. Six years after a man named Bruce Jenner won woman of the year from Glamour magazine. And rather than criticize these two people and our, our culture of lies, I, I would like to look at this as an opportunity, which is why today I, Michael Knowles, am officially throwing my hat in the ring for 2022 Pakistani belly dancer of the year. I am brave. I am beautiful. And if you don't give me the award, you are a bigot. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Glenn Fastine, who is uh, paraphrasing Hillary Clinton from that video crying about how she didn't win. Quote, I would be the first female president, but we have stood on the shoulders of great men. Yup, like your husband. Truly a great man for putting up with you for 46 years. Bill has my respect, if only for that. Harsh, very harsh, but fair, I would have to say. This, whoever wrote that comment really knows what time it is. When I want to know what time it is, you know one of my favorite places to look? Movement watches. You know what time it is? It's almost Christmas time. And Movement, the original watch brand to break all the rules, is right there for you. How did Movement start? You know, Movement started because two college dropouts who didn't want to overpay for a nice watch, they uh, started this great company. It became extremely popular. They brought you really, really nice watches at a really reasonable price. They cut out the middleman. They've got a ton of other stuff even beyond the watches. They've got hundreds of watches, blue light glasses, sunglasses, super cool jewelry, you can stuff your stockings with all this sort of stuff. It was the best present that I've ever gotten for my father and my stepmother. I got them movement watches one year and they, it would buy, they loved it much more than any watch I've gotten them. I have had a lot of watches. I have a lot of watches. Some are very, very expensive. Some are not very expensive. And I love my movement watches, especially the Revolver. Check out the Revolver. That's a top one. And they've got a great automatic watch too. So go check that out. Be the winner this Christmas season with a gift from Movement, mvmt.com slash Knowles. That is mvmt.com slash Knowles and join the movement. The time athlete of the year is someone who chose not to be an athlete. Now, obviously, Simone Biles, I'm not familiar with her work at all, but I'm told that she's a very good gymnast. But she's not being given the award because she's a good gymnast. She's not being given the award in the years where she did gymnastics. She is being given the award specifically, explicitly, for refusing to be an athlete. Much as Bruce Jenner was given the award Woman of the Year, specifically because he's a man. He's not a woman. Norm MacDonald, the late, great Norm MacDonald had a bit on this where, where he said, you know, now we're, we're told that uh, Bruce Jenner is stunning and brave. And, you know, he might be brave, but I don't think he's stunning. I don't think he's beautiful. Not very many women, you know, even women, women in their sixties are like supermodels, right? So 
it's just, it's just, it's a lie. It's a lie that we're being forced to believe in. These people are being given awards to make the award a lie. Where does this come from? I think this comes from a natural inclination in the Christian West, which is to take the side of the victim. In pagan cultures, in non-Christian or before that non-Jewish cultures, you don't, you don't really see a lot of concern for the victim. You see a lot of, this is what the uh, philosopher and sociologist Rene Girard pointed out, that you see a lot of scapegoating. You see a lot of uh, attacking a victim, unanimous violence against a victim, and then you scapegoat and then the, the civilization can move on. You see cultures beginning with founding murders, taking the side of the murderer, not the side of the murdered. And then in the Jewish scriptures and then in its fulfillment in Christianity, you see God taking the side of the victim. And, and we do that. And that is expressed in leftism. That's expressed in wokeism. But you always want to take the side of, of the person who seems weaker, the, the person who seems to be the underdog. And, and this can be taken to a point of absurdity now, where because Bruce Jenner, for instance, suffers from confusion about his sex, because he is in that way marginalized, we need to take it to the complete other extreme and say he's the most beautiful, stunning woman in the world. Because Simone Biles claims to have had some mental problems before the event. And really, she just said, yeah, I don't feel like it. I'm not having fun because she's not having a good time. We need to say she's the greatest athlete in the whole wide, the best athlete of the year, even though she didn't really do athletics this year. That takes things to a point of absurdity, but it, it, it does seem to be in our DNA. It reminds me of a line from Chesterton who points out that the modern world isn't terrible because it's so bad. It's terrible in some ways because it's too good. It's not the vices that are getting us, it's the virtues. When you take one virtue out of context and you blow it up out of proportion and you disregard all the other virtues, then you can end up in a bad place. And that's where we are right now. This, you're seeing this, especially in the transgender issue. Look at what's going on at UPenn. There is a transgender, quote unquote, swimmer there. Is a, a man named Will Thomas. And he swam on the men's team and he did fine on the men's team. He was there for three seasons. Uh, but now he's saying that he's a woman and he's competing on the women's team. And surprise, surprise, he's breaking all the records. Wow, amazing. Oh my gosh. He's brand new to the team and he's breaking like all the records. Wow, he must be the greatest woman ever. Gosh, he is the most impressive woman ever. At the Akron Zippy Invitational over the weekend, kind of a funny name, uh, Thomas won... Uh, won one race by a whopping 38 seconds over his teammate. He's, he's setting records for pen. He's setting records for the meet. He's setting, he's setting all sorts of records according to OutKick. Now, what do the teammates say? This is according to a teammate who wants to remain anonymous, obviously, for fear of blowback. She says, pretty much everyone individually has spoken to our coaches about not liking this. Our coach just really likes winning. He's like most coaches. I think secretly everyone knows it's the wrong thing to do. This person went on and said, when the whole team is together, we have to be like, oh my gosh, go Leah. Leah is what this guy now goes by, Leah. Oh my gosh, go Leah. That's great. You're amazing. It's very fake, added the student. And of course it's, it's fake. That's the worst part of this. I don't I don't care about women's swimming or tennis or what. I don't, I don't care. Not the biggest sports guy in the world generally. And I, you know, I'd, like I'll, I guess I'm like sort of interested in the NBA, but I'm really not interested in the WNBA. 
know, I'm not, and I know that a lot of this argument from the right pushing back on transgenderism is we've got to save women's sports. I don't care about women's sports. It'd be nice. Let the women have their sports. Let them win their awards and their scholarships. It's fine. I have no problem. I'm not against women's sports, but that's not what's so wrong about this. Okay. The thing that's really wrong is what that teammate is saying, which is that everyone has to lie. We're all being made to lie all the time. And we, it, we're not even allowed to lie in a quiet way. We have to lie in a really enthusiastic way. We have to say, oh yes, wow, you, yes, Bruce Jenner, you are a beautiful woman, right? We're all, and we're all celebrating it, right? <laughs> it's all, and no, I'm, no, I'm more enthusiastic than anybody. He, yes. And you, uh, Will Thomas, you're an amazing female swimmer. <laughs> wow. Great. Good, good job. You know, but no one, no one believes it. No one believes it. The swimmer doesn't believe it. Bruce Jenner, I don't think believes it and has said at various times, I'm not really a woman. So it's just not, it's that culture of lies. That's really the problem. And we're seeing it and, and we're, we're all trying to dance around that. So even the conservatives will say, well, he, he's biologically a male. He's a biological male. He's a biological, she's a biological female. No. As if there's some, some kind of other male or female. Like you can be a biological male, but a spiritual female, a biological female, but a, but a psychological male. No, it's just, just boys and girls, boys and girls. And we're all, well, it's just not fair to the female runners and swimmers. Who cares? It's, it's just not right is the problem. It's just not, it's just not true. That's the real problem. The runners and the swimmers and the models, and that's all secondary to the, to the, it's just not true. And the truth ought to be pursued because the truth will set you free. Now, speaking of opportunistic men, there is a story right now of one of the worst serial killers I've ever heard about in American history. The, the, the trial just was going on just within the last couple of weeks, and you probably haven't heard about it. This, this is Billy Chemermere. Billy Chemermere is, uh, he looks like kind of like a middle-aged guy, middle-aged, a little bit younger. He's an immigrant from Kenya. He became a permanent U.S. resident in 2007. Uh, Billy Chemermere was arrested in March of 2018 uh, after a 91-year-old woman, Mary Annis Bartell, said that a man forced his way into her apartment at an independent living community for older people in, in the Dallas suburb of Plano and tried to, and attacked her and, and tr- tried to steal her stuff. And then the authorities looked into this guy and he had a ton of jewelry and cash and they linked him to the murders of 18 old women, 18 women in their 80s and their 90s. He would break into their homes, murder them and steal their jewelry and their money. We've got at least 18 here. The evidence is overwhelming that this guy did it. There is, there is no way to look at the evidence, at, at, at even a tenth of the evidence, and say this guy didn't do it. But there's a mistrial because 11 jurors said it's obviously the case, and then there's one juror who said no, one intransigent juror, whether this was jury nullification or this was a political activist or something, but they wouldn't do it. So it's a mistrial. This guy looks like he's just going to get off the hook for murdering 18 old women in cold blood and stealing their jewels. And probably the even greater scandal than that is that you're not going to hear about it because this doesn't go along with the media narrative. When you want to protect yourself, specifically your identity, you got to check out LifeLock. 
If you are among the majority of people who use the same password on multiple accounts, credential stuffing is a cyber attack that you really should know about. Credential stuffing is when cyber criminals get your username and password off the dark web and they try to gain access to your accounts and steal your private information. Very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Every day we put our information at risk on the internet. In an instant, a cyber criminal could steal what's yours, sometimes harm your finances, your credit, your reputation. Good thing, there's LifeLock. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, such as your social security number for sale on the dark web. If they detect that your information has potentially been compromised, they'll let you know. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but you can help protect what's yours with LifeLock by Norton. Join right now. Save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash Knowles. You probably guessed that. LifeLock.com slash Knowles, Canada W-L-E-S, for 25% off. Potentially one of the worst serial killers in American history uh, may well get off the hook because of a mistrial, because of a hung jury, because one juror is, uh, seems to be holding out. Again, we just, we don't know, we don't have totally solid reports on obviously exactly what's going on in the jury room, but overwhelming evidence that this guy murdered 18 old women and stole their stuff. And, uh, but one juror for whatever reason doesn't want to convict. And you haven't heard about it. Whatever the jury is dealing with, whatever the was going on in the trial, you haven't heard about it. Why? Because it contradicts the media narrative. The guy who did it was black, not white. But according to the media narrative, all black people good, all white people bad. Black Lives Matter is the greatest, most wonderful, peaceful organization in the world, even though they burned the country down for eight months and killed dozens of people. Uh, but if white people do anything, it, anything that is in any way questionable, it's really bad. You know, the Lori, it wasn't just white people, but it was, there were a lot of white people at the Capitol Hill incident on January 6th. And that's being called the worst terrorist attack in history. So the black and white thing, that doesn't work. He's an immigrant, but immigrants, good native born Americans, bad. So that, that doesn't work out very well at all. And so they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to talk about this sort of thing. That is a scandal. And we need to see, and what, what's going on with the ju this jury? We have no idea. 18 older women, your grandmother, think of your grandmother, murdered in cold blood for some jewels a dozen and a half times. How would I say that? One and a half dozen times? I don't know. 18 times we're talking about. Not a peep. Not a peep because of the racial narratives of the left, largely, I think and the immigrant narratives and the broader political narratives. There's a U.S. attorney for Massachusetts, new U.S. attorney. Her name is Rachel Rollins. A news crew uh, just met her in the parking lot of either her apartment complex or somewhere near the community where she lives. And she went off on a vile racial rant. I, I'm going to please make sure that you're in front of my house with my children inside. And you're going to put this on oh, here. This is your house. I'm yeah. Sorry. So as a black woman in this moment in this country, you're going to put my house on the screen? No, 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 ma'am. We're just here approaching you to ask you a question. Get away from my family. Speak to me at my job. If I get hurt or harmed because of this, you are on the record for that. Or my kids are are killed. Listen. Who do you think you are? 
get this is private property okay, get out of here get out. and you know what i'll do i'll call the police on you and make an allegation okay. and we'll see how that works okay. with you absolutely. so the rantings of a white woman get you here and scare my children no, 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 get no. off of our private property and i swear to god i'm dead it. serious You're i will find your name you. you can ask me somewhere else do not have a camera in front of my I house can give you my name get her I'm get them out of here this is the please. boston police i will have you arrested i swear to god my children are gonna be hurt I like the Al Pacino impression at the end. In my house, where my children sleep, how dare you? And so this woman, not not the most eloquent of public servants, or public servants, they're not sending their best anymore, U.S. attorney. She is very angry because the media are interviewing her and they're, and they're going to her community and, you know, this is unpleasant. It happens to all public figures, happens to all, she's a politician, she's a public figure, she's a U.S. attorney. But she doesn't just complain about the media. She says, I'm black and you're white. And, and the person that you're referring to or who uh, impelled these questions is white. And so that specifically is wrong. You can't, you can't ask black people questions. How dare you? White people are bad. When white women speak, that's bad because white women are evil and they rant and I hate white women. <laughs> that's what she's implying. And I'm a black woman and I get special privileges because I'm a black woman and I get to... I, I get to complain and criticize white women on the basis of their race. This wouldn't, as a black woman, this would, how, how dare you at this moment? It's so dangerous for white women. And I thought, what are, who are the public figures who have been accosted by mobs of people and threatened with violence? You know, a lot of public figures, get, but I'm talking about the real incidents that we've seen in public or even at their homes. Who are the public figures? Uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, a gang of leftists tried to bust down his door at his private home where his wife and children sleep. Tucker Carlson, not a, he's not a black woman, right? No. Uh, there's uh, Ted Cruz, my old pal Ted Cruz. He's been accosted in, in restaurants. He's been accosted in public with, with his wife. He's not a black woman. He's an Hispanic man. Uh, Elaine Chow, She's not a black woman. She's an Asian woman married to Mitch McConnell. Oh, Mitch McConnell too. Mitch McConnell, he's also not. So why is it that the narrative seems a little bit different here? Is there's this special, well, it's, I think it's because Democrat politicians have been calling for that violence to specifically to go find conservatives, regardless of their race, to find conservatives in public and to accost them, and even to go to their homes, like Maxine Waters said not so long ago. Already, you have members of your cabinet uh, that are being booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. Who's saying, no peace, no sleep. No peace, no sleep. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet, in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station. You get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Encouraging people to go mob on them in public and threaten them physically and to go to their house where their children sleep. People don't do that to Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters hasn't had any of these big incidents. It's all, all these other people. 
Uh, this woman, Rachel Rollins, she is a disgrace. I mean, she, it, if the word racism has any meaning left at all, obviously she's a great example of that. Uh, it's so, it's so disgusting. The woman should be fired. She should be disbarred and she should be driven out of polite society. She should not be permitted to, to participate in public life. She can go live her private life and work for a company or whatever, work for some law firm. If anyone would hire her, I don't know why anyone would for her, for her intelligence or decorum or talent or tact. They might hire her because she's clearly got political connections, but this is disgusting stuff. She should have no place, no place in American public life. But it's not just her. It's not just this U.S. attorney. Take this down way to the local level. The Fort Worth School District has an equity committee. You know, the, you know those, those very important equity committees, you know, that's really important to your kid's education. So a woman who served as the committee co-chair, they call it chair now, like she's a piece of furniture because you're not allowed to say chairman because that's sexist or something. So anyway, she's not a piece of furniture. She's a, a person. So the, the co-chairman of the Fort Worth Independent School District's Racial Equity Committee uh, just doxed uh, white parents, specifically white parents, who had sued the school district because the, they didn't want the school district to force their kids to, to inject themselves with the Fauci ouchie. So this, this woman, Norma Garcia Lopez, not, not only released the phone number and, and addresses of four, four of these families, along with one of the parents' employers and work addresses, uh, she left a really nasty voicemail focusing specifically on race. you, you stupid bitch, Carrie Reimer. you with your white privilege, not caring about the well-being of others. you. Yeah, not like me. I care about the well-being of others. F you, you effing this, you because I'm a good person, you effing disgusting awful, and you're a bad person, not a good person like me. F you with all your privilege, you know? Uh, enjoy the mobs of people that are going to show up to your house because I doxed you. Yeah, F you with your privilege, you white person. I hate white people. Hate them, those white people. They're the worst. <laughs> so the reason I bring it up uh, is not because not only because this is really bad and these people should not be permitted <laughs> in public life, uh, but to show you the madness of it all. Because I think these people really believe it. I think this lady, Norma Garcia Lopez, and I think Rachel Rollins, I think they really believe that because one is Hispanic and one is black and they're both women, that they are seriously put upon and that they are seriously disadvantaged and that white people are really, they're so privileged. When of course, these incidents show you quite, quite the opposite is true. There's only one group of people, there's only one race of people that you are publicly permitted to, to criticize and attack and insult and, and frankly, even encourage to. That would be white people. There's only one race of people, two races of people who can be legally discriminated against in college admissions, for instance. That would be white people and Asian people. What do the Asians do? I don't know, but they get thrown in with it. There, there is a, 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 a prevailing cultural norm that allows you to do this. And what's so crazy about it is you think that it's the opposite. It tricks you. I mean, it is this issue of the scapegoating. When you are scapegoating, as Rene Girard points out, when you are scapegoating, you never know that you're scapegoating. You're not aware of it. It works like a madness on your brain. But these two women, they think they're totally in the right. And if you've got any remove whatsoever from it, you, you can see that you can see that they're not. But, but it, it, this, this kind of politics of scapegoating, it works on your brain like a poison. Now, when you want to be healthy, 
when you don't want poison, when you want to be really healthy, get that good blood flowing, you have to check out Echelon. I freaking love my Echelon. I've got my Echelon bike. It's got this super cool screen. You know I hate working out. You know I hate going to the gym. I'm just never going to do it. I'm never going to take the time and I just hate it. So Echelon, you just throw your sneakers on. I had to go find a pair of sneakers. I put them on. I say, all right, I'll try it out. We'll see. I'm not a big workout guy. You, you can get these great classes. Some of them are live rides. Some of them, you know, you can tune back in after they've already gone live. They've got really, really terrific trainers that can inspire even me. And I'm pretty cynical on working out. It's terrific. It's the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. I love the bike, but they've got lots of other gear too. The Echelon Fitness app provides you with thousands of live and on-demand classes with great music from your favorite artists. With Echelon, you can work out anytime, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. I put the baby to bed, then I go work on my Echelon. It's really, really cool stuff. For a limited time right now, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 818181. That is Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Text Knowles to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Speaking of bad guys, you know, just people do all these terrible things and then they convince you that they're the good guys and, you know, the other people are the bad guys. Speaking of bad guys, Joe Biden. Joe Biden was just speaking, paying tribute to the late Senator Bob Dole, Good, good old Republican senator, first presidential candidate I ever supported. He died at the age of 98, lived a good long life. Joe Biden was speaking. Listen to these inspiring words that uh, President Biden had for Bob Dole. Our nation has certainly faced periods of division. But at the end of the day, we've always found ways to come together. We can find that unity again. And the message said, end of message. <laughs> he is so, so far gone. We can find, we can find that unity again. And the message ends, message send. The message send, I end, end of message. First of all, whichever staffer is writing Joe Biden's teleprompter, stop saying end of message. He's clearly not getting it. <laughs> This is not the first time this has happened. Yes, the president of the United States should know not to read the end of message at the bottom of the teleprompter. But if he's going to keep flubbing it up and he's not going to remember and he's obviously barely conscious these days, come on, man, be a good staffer. Don't, don't put that in there. He, he is really far gone. It's why I can't get so angry with him. Joe Biden has always, he's always been kind of a doofus in American politics. I don't even mean that angrily. I just, that's, that's been his rap. He's not the brightest bulb in the pack. He's a backslapping, grinning politician. He doesn't have any real beliefs. He just kind of goes with whichever way the wind is blowing. And he is a vessel of the establishment. So it doesn't really matter. The fact that it's weekend at Biden's and they're basically just propping him up at this point doesn't matter. The, the liberal establishment is going to continue to rule as it wants to. It doesn't, doesn't matter all that much that you don't have a, a, an energetic or even really a, an awake president. But, but the same could be said of the younger, vibrant, fresh face, leftist, radical politicians too. They too are tools of the establishment. I, I noticed this with AOC. AOC, she's, we might not like her, but she's supposed to be the real true believer. She's supposed to be the hard leftist fighter who, who's going to take the fight to the 
even her own party and her own liberal establishment. And that's not really what happened. She just gave a speech on how now more than ever, we need to import a bunch of foreigners into the country. We just lived through one, almost two years now of a pandemic that relied, where our country relied on undocumented people to survive. Okay, we're gonna put it down really simple. Because who else was sanitizing our buildings? Who else was caring for our elders? Who else was harvesting our food? Who else was stocking our shelves except immigrant labor in the United States of America? We will not be a country that says we will take that and yes, exploit that and not accept the basic humanity, dignity, and equality of all people in this country, particularly our immigrant families and communities. So this is not true. We don't need illegal aliens. They don't help America. They don't make America better. They are a drain on America's resources. They lower the wages of lower class Americans, which is the important issue we'll get to in one second. And they break our most basic laws. Okay, we don't need them. Now, lest I sound too harsh, some illegal aliens, I'll sound like Trump, some of them I assume are good people. <laughs> you know, some illegal aliens actually are, are very nice, amiable people. Some of them can contribute and become good Americans and their kids can be good Americans. I have friends who are illegal aliens or who were DACA. They were brought over when they were young. They, they didn't really have any say about it. And some of them can become very patriotic and sure, that, that's true. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But we, we don't need illegal aliens. We don't need them at all. Do you know who needs illegal aliens? big business and big powerful interests in America who want to suppress the wages of the working class, which is why it's so funny that AOC, this, the socialist class warrior is the one peddling this stuff. She is, she is actually just peddling the agenda of the neoliberal establishment and the chamber of commerce. That's what she's doing. Say, yes, we need, this is, I've always had some respect, a little bit of respect for Bernie Sanders who is pretty anti-immigration because immigrants, very simple, immigration, especially illegal immigration, lowers wages for the working class. AOC says, well, who is going to clean our bathrooms if we don't bring in Hondurans who cross the border illegally? Who is going to pick the lima beans? I don't know. Who's going to pick the almonds if we don't just bring in foreign nationals illegally and then let them stay here? Americans will. That's who. Americans of different races will do that. And, and yes, the capitalist class, the ruling class will have to pay them more. You're right. That's true. And maybe that'll raise prices in some places. You're right. I can't, I can't believe I have to make the socialist critique for AOC. Yes, it's, but there are Americans who will take those jobs. It's so offensive and so false to pretend that Americans won't, won't take hard jobs or low paying jobs. They will. And the wages will go up a little bit. And that's what happened. And that's what has happened historically in the United States when immigration is reduced a little bit, the wages start to go up. This is why you saw real wage growth for the first time in, in many, many years under Trump when immigration started to go down. There were other factors as well, but that was a big one. So AOC goes out there as the pretend culture warrior, at, at pretending that she was born and raised in the Bronx when she wasn't. She was from a very rich town, actually the town over from mine, the wealthier town over from my already nice town where I grew up. And she goes and pretends to be Jenny from the block and pretends to be this real tough class warrior. And she's carrying water for these plutocratic elites, just like she goes to the Met Gala and wears a dress that says, tax the rich, eat the rich or whatever it said. And, 
And then she, you know, swills champagne with all of these other plutocrats. And it's just, it's a show. It's pretend. It's, it's all a lie. <laughs> and, and she gets plaudits for it. Okay, that's fine. The, the establishment's very good at ruling. They're very good at controlling people. They're very good at exercising their power. And they're good at manipulating and exploiting others. That's fine. But see it clearly. Do not, let's not pretend that AOC is some great class warrior. Not even close. Speaking of young Democrats too, we've gotten a lesson from, we're learning a lot from young Democrats. One of, one of which is how to fight back the culture. There is a, there is a new poll out that shows something that's a little sad for, for those of you out there who have your eye on some cute Democrat chicky, which is that uh, younger Democrats are much less likely to go on a date with a Republican than vice versa much less likely to shop at a business or support a business that is owned by a Republican than vice versa, much less likely to be friends with a Republican than vice versa, and much less likely to work for a Republican than vice versa. They don't, they don't like us. They don't want to have a lot to do with us. And we do like them and we do want to have something to do with them. And we've got to figure out how to fix this asymmetry because the libs are using this to their advantage. Now, if you have not signed onto our petition against Joe Biden's vaccine mandate, you need to head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply to add your name. We have a goal of reaching 1 million signatures, which would provide a major boost to our legal challenge. We have nearly 800,000 signatures so far. We need your help to cross the finish line. Please head on over to dailywire.com slash do not comply and then share our petition with all of your friends and family. Also go buy Matt's book, He's the number one best-selling children's author and the number one best-selling LGBTQ author in the United States. So be sure to go support him today. We will be right back with the mailbag. Quickly before we get to the mailbag, the main takeaway from this new Axios poll is that young Democrat voters are much more likely to despise the other party than young Republican voters. And this, this is why we lose. Part, part of the reason I think Republicans are willing to date and shop at and work for and, and be friends with Democrats is just because we have to. If you, <laughs> you want to have friends, if you want to work, if you want to shop, then you're going to have to because that's the Democrats rule these things. But what's important here, I think the lesson to take away is we need to do a much better job of stigmatizing left-wing views. They've done, the libs have done a good job at stigmatizing perfectly ordinary common sense views. We need to do that as well. We need to get, we, we need to be able to shift the realm of acceptable discourse. We need to cancel. We need to learn how to cancel. <laughs> and the libs do a great job at it, but we need to do that as well. And then, then maybe they'll like us. I don't know. Peace through strength. First question in the mailbag from John. Hey, Michael, longtime fan. I need some of your expert relationship advice. My girlfriend of two and a half years and I are deciding whether or not to continue our relationship because of political views. She believes my conservative values and supportive outlets, such as the Daily Wire, thank you, is giving a platform to harmful rhetoric and spreading, spreading hatred. She strongly believes America is systematically racist, supports abortion, BLM, transgender ideology, and hates Trump. She also wants to go into public policy to quote, advocate for the rights and representation of people of color, women, and the LGBTQ community. Our concern is that since we 
are both so passionate in our views that our relationship won't last in the long run. As of now, it is looking like we will have to uh, go our separate ways. Do you think this is the right decision or is it worth it to try to get her to at least entertain more conservative views in the future? Thanks for your time. Keep up the great work. John, I'm going to give you some advice that might sound a little out of character for me. Run! Run for your life. <laughs> Run and don't look back, John. There, whatever room you're in right now, there should be a John-shaped hole in the wall. You should be running that fast to get, to get away from her. I'm not saying that you can't grow together. I'm not saying that you can't date or even marry a woman where you have some differences. Of course, you're, you're going to have some differences. You're different people. But it sounds like you disagree, uh, not just on these little political issues or candidates, but at a really deep philosophical level. And it, it seems like you both disagree intensely. It's not as though you hold your views in this very shallow way. And it sounds like it's getting worse over time. It doesn't sound like you're growing together. It sounds like you're growing apart. And so it's better to know that now than it would be to find that out later. Well, I don't, I'm kind of wondering what, like, what do you guys talk about? What do you, (laughs) what do you have? Is she just hotter than a $2 pistol? Is it, what is keeping you together now? I don't know if, if it's the sort of thing where she's just fallen under the sway of a bunch of lib dummies in college or something. That's one thing, you know, especially if she's younger, maybe people go, but it, this changes. If you, if you guys are a little bit older, if you're a little more set in your ways, if you, it's, if you're kind of going in those opposite directions, then I wouldn't try to put a bandaid on it. If you think it's a phase and you're actually coming together and getting closer, then that's one thing, but doesn't sound like it. And so my friend, there are other fish in the sea from Jacob. Hey, Michael, I've been dating. There are more relationship questions. All right. I've been dating this girl since my senior year of high school, which makes it about three years now. And I have been ready to get married in order to live the marriage lifestyle with a girl I love for about a year and a half now. I assume you're using that as a euphemism, which fair enough. Uh, but you know, there's, there's, there are a lot of things to the marriage lifestyle. So I'll, I'll take it in the broad sense. Uh, but she insists on waiting until she gets her bachelor's degree, which would be in another year and a half. So my question is, what do I do in this situation? Keep in mind, I'm Mormon. So if things ended between us, I could find about a hundred girls that would be ready to get married in like four months. Sincerely, the world is ending and I don't want to spend eternity alone. Jacob, you know, on this show, I will often say, get married and have babies and just go do it and hurry up. Come on, you stupid millennials who just want to put off doing anything in your lives. But in this case, I will subvert your expectations. I, th- I think it's okay to let her graduate from college first. Even if you've been dating for a long time, I-, I think that's fine. That is a kind of milestone in life. It is difficult to be, in- to be married and in college. It's not impossible. I know people who do it. But still, I think one more year, maybe you get engaged or something, but then plan to get married after she graduates. I, th- I think that's reasonable. And then, you know, have a good life and you don't have to spend eternity alone. You are right that I'm sure, especially in your religious community, you could find a billion women who are ready to take the plunge now. Uh, So if you want to, I mean, if you're thinking that your current girlfriend is just interchangeable and she's just one of any number of women, then yeah, maybe you should do that. But if you value this woman in particular, then what's a year? What's What's a year by the scale of eternity? From Anonymous. Howdy, Michael. I'm a huge fan of your show. I deeply admire your unique love for the conservative tradition, especially in literature. Thank you. I'm also a Protestant, Reformed Baptist, and I've noticed over the past couple of years that deep conviction on issues of political nature 
seems to be relatively shallow in many of my Protestant circles. While I believe it is our duty as Christians to reorder our government around an objective moral standard, when we hopefully regain political power, many of the people I've spoken to in my circles seem to believe it's either impossible or government overreach. And I've come to realize that a lot of the strong political conviction is unique to the Catholic Church. Yep. My question for you is simply, why do you believe this is the case? Sincerely, the one A&M student who keeps tagging you on Instagram. Do you? I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm such a boomer that I don't even know how to really use that stuff, but I will, uh, I'll, I'll try to look for your tags. There is a reason for this. It's not just cultural. It's not just the Italians are more fiery or something and they tend to be Catholic. There is, there is a deep reason why the Protestant denominations are not as inclined to engage in politics and not always as effective politically as Catholics have been. The reason for this is that Protestantism itself is the cause of, and in a sense, a product of the crack up of Western Christendom. So you had something called Christendom, the West, and then it cracked up in in the early 16th century. In the West, you had obviously different principalities and states and things like that, but one church that had, that had, I think, and certainly that claimed a monopoly on the truth and that maintained European unity, even between different ruling families and different principalities and different, different states. And the Protestant revolution ended that. This is what Hamlet is about. Hamlet is about, it's, well, it's why Hamlet, the character is at, at the University of Wittenberg, right? This, where Protestantism really begins to take shape and take hold. This is why he, Hamlet has all these questions about what is truth because the monopoly on truth has been cracked by the Protestant revolution. He doesn't know what to believe. He doesn't know where the authority is. The authority of Christendom was shattered by, by Protestantism. And so what Protestant political activists have that's tricky for them is a, a numbers problem and a credibility problem. There were just so many Protestant denominations. There were like 30,000 of them and counting. And so this leads to a credibility problem because none of them can really credibly claim to be the one true church. And some do, I guess, but it's because there's no um, apostolic line of succession like you would have in, say, at the Catholic church. You you can't, it's hard to make the argument that, you know, the true Christianity existed from year 33 AD to, I don't know, 300 AD. And then it just disappeared. And then it popped up again in Missouri in 1852. It's just, it doesn't, it's not very credible. And so this leads naturally to an embrace of pluralism and skepticism because all of the Protestant denominations intrinsically need to play nice with one another. And so you have to have a much greater tolerance of religious disagreement and a a less of a confidence that you can know the truth and that you can claim authority, which the Catholic, whatever you think of the Catholic church, they have no problem making truth claims and they have no problem making claims from authority. And so what this leads to is a kind of political quietism where you back away and you say, look, let's, we just need to work on ourselves and uh, we just need to uh, change the culture. You know, we just need to make better movies or something. You know, we just, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't impose our views on anyone because our views, uh, we are not able to make a credible claim for the universality of those views. Um, so that, that is going to be a problem that you're going to have with Protestantism. And, and it's no, it's no uh, coincidence that liberalism comes shortly on the heels of Protestantism. The two, the two projects are, are intrinsically linked. And uh, so you might like liberalism, you might like Protestantism, you might think that those movements were good for the West and for the world. But it is going to lead you to a position where you are politically at a a great disadvantage if you want to 
recover something more traditional, something more unified. From John, hey Michael, I love the show and I find it extremely easy to agree with your positions, but your take on suicide pods has me wondering what your idea of death with dignity should look like for an elderly person. I work as a nurse in the ICU and see there are just so many obstacles to maintaining your dignity in old age, dementia, fall injuries, incontinence, to name a few. Yeah, it's ugly. It's, it's not pleasant. Although I'm in my 30s, I find myself thinking about what I would do if I become elderly and I see something like dementia taking hold. Of course, my priorities are to not become a burden to my loved ones, not to allow my memory to become tarnished and to be right with God as right as I can be. We sometimes muse about the one last walk into the woods, which actually seems instinctive since many mammals do this when they feel their time is nearing its end, but that could also be considered suicide if done to hasten death in the setting of early dementia. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Death is not dignified. Death is not dignified. What is the first thing that happens when you die? You soil yourself. It's like the first thing that happens. It, which is a good representation and symbol of how undignified death is. Death is a punishment. Death is a punishment for original sin. And you might not believe in original sin. You might not believe in Christianity or the Bible. And, but it, it's just a fact. A, original sin is just a description of in, imperfection and the fallen nature of this world and the fact that things do go wrong and it's just not perfect. And it can be, and death is bad. And we just know death is bad. It's just a bad thing. And it's, and, and so it, it is a punishment and it is a punishment that you must bear. <laughs> You're not getting out of it. Not in this world. There is the opportunity for salvation. This is what Christianity is about, but that's in the life of the world to come. And so people want to deny death and they want to deny sin and they want to deny suffering and pain. And so they'll say, all right, the minute my memory starts to go, I'm out. You know, I'm going to take a long walk off a short cliff or something like that. Uh, the minute that I start to suffer, I'm going to end things. I'm going to have a living will and I'm going to, you know, tell, tell you to kill me when I, when I stop feeling great. But there's no end to that. You want to talk about a slippery slope. That's the real slippery slope. And wherever these euthanasia, quote unquote, where the assisted suicide laws are in place, they have, they have expanded rapidly. And you see, especially in the Netherlands, which is one of the leaders in this, you're seeing children being killed, assisted suicide, because, well, they're going to have some chronic pain. Well, they're going to be depressed. Well, there's no end to that. You have to stop looking at suffering as, as the worst possible thing in the world. It's not. There are worse things. There are many worse things in this world and the, the world to come. I think you need to be as dignified as you possibly can and bear your cross and bear your suffering with dignity and kiss it up to God, honey. That's what you got to do. From Camille, Mr. Knowles, I heard you answer a question last week about how a young woman couldn't figure out what she would be do, what she should be doing with her life at the moment. You responded that she should just get married and have babies. <laughs> well, cause she said, she asked me not to tell her that. And she, she knew that I was going to have to tell her that. Now, as someone in a similar stage of my life, I didn't love the answer. <laughs> I can't speak to her, but it's not that I'm opposed to getting married right now. And if the right guy came along, I would be happy to spend my life with him. But that's the problem. I haven't met anyone who seems worth it yet. So what am I supposed to do? Just settle for someone good enough? That is extremely depressing. And I can't see myself doing that. I'm not a feminist and I don't have some insane list of things I'm looking for. So spare me the you're too picky lines that everyone resorts to. Mm, sore subject, my dear, uh, because I really don't think that that's the case and I can't help whom I'm attracted to. Okay. All right. We'll get it. That's like a whole other discussion. Uh, would you love to hear, I uh, would love to hear your thoughts and as always love your show and the insight sincerely helping soulmates, hoping soulmates are real and that mine is tall and wealthy. Okay. Don't we all? 
Your friends might be telling you you're too picky because you are. But I'm not. I'm really not. Well, but maybe you are though. Now, I I don't mean to make light of your problem. It is a, a real problem. And it's a problem that we're all kind of led into and duped into because one thing I've noticed is that many of the most successful marriages I've ever seen were from people who met when they were younger. High school sweethearts. And I think part of this is, and I, you know, today people think that's insane to marry your high school sweetheart. No, you've got to grow and you've got to go bang like a thousand people and you've got to, you know, become the middle manager at your company. And then and only then can you get into a formal partnership with someone and then have an equal, very rationalist clinical kind of marriage. Uh, okay. I, it doesn't sound very romantic to me. Part of the reason why I think the high school sweetheart thing works is because you have shared experience. And as we said earlier, you grow with someone. You grow, you really feel like one flesh. And this, you can ha- this can happen at any point that you get married. Uh, but you've got to work on that. And you've got to sacrifice something of yourself and your own desires. And there, I don't mean to discount a, being physically attracted to someone. I mean, I think sweet little Elise is the hottest chickie in the world. And I'm not, I'm not being dishonest or flattering or anything. She really, I really think that. And I have always thought that. Um, that might not be your experience you might find someone hotter over time. Like I'm sure Elise has found me much hotter over time. She might not have thought I was all that good looking to begin with, you know, but over time you you just fall in love with these other aspects of people. Okay. And so my answer to you, I'm sorry to tell you, be less picky. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. <laughs>